BHP Southlink is predominantly going to be an autonomous mine site. That's what they're aiming for. So you'll have your technical people that will still be required on site and you'll have some form of operations type personnel, but you're definitely not going to have the number of crews that you would have had, say, 8, 10, 12, 15 years ago as far as operating mobile equipment. Now, in saying that, I've got a girlfriend who's a heavy-duty diesel fitter. When Rio first started looking at the whole autonomous truck type thing, she, you know, obviously they had to retrofit some of their trucks. Now, that costs tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. But then where they're spending money on technology, they're saving money on salaries, I suppose. So, you know, obviously it is beneficial to the mining company for that and not only just purely for a money cost-saving exercise, but obviously safety as well, you know. How many times do you hear that a tyre's caught fire and all of a sudden someone's going to have to jump out of the cab or whatever it might be? No matter what, in any industry, we're, we're going to all have to sort of adjust to technology. Hello and welcome to the Beers with a Miner podcast, episode number 47. This is a happy hour episode. My name is Mad Mumsy and I have been driving the huge dump trucks in Australian open cut mines for over 10 years now. I wish I had a dollar for everyone who said to me, how does a little thing like you drive those big trucks? Oh, you must be rich. How do I get a job doing that? My mining friends are asked these questions all the time too. And this is what started the Mad Mumsy journey to share stories and tips from living a mining lifestyle and to let others know what it's really like. Tune in each episode as I sit down for a relaxed chat, usually over a few beers with a fellow miner. Women and blokes with various experience, roles and opinions share their lessons and stories with you. Because not everyone is cut out to be a miner. Why not? What does it take to thrive and survive in this industry? Now, let's dig in. Get it? Dig? Mining? I crack me up. (laughs) And after 47 episodes, I'm still doing it. Crazier and crazier. This week, I chat with Danny Tamati, Principal of the Resources Hub, an award-winning high-profile recruitment, career development, human resources and OH&S professional, keynote speaker and, as you'll hear, much, much more. She has been involved in the mining industry for the past 24 years as a FIFO worker, FIFO wife and a service provider. In this episode, Danny shares with us her personal story of working FIFO, How did she first get a star and what are her recommendations for newbies? Maybe that's you or someone that you know. What was it like as a woman working with mining blokes for the first time? How does FIFO living compare to being a townie in small mining towns in Western Australia? And what was it like to start a family in those small towns? Why were people knocking on Danny's door? random strangers listen in this is a great chat and I'm sure that you will get a lot out of it it's all very intriguing but I was keen to get Danny onto the podcast mostly initially to chat about her views on autonomous machines and her thoughts on how that will affect the workforce in the future quite a few mine sites and large companies 
mainly large companies at the moment, are now starting to roll out autonomous pits. So they have robots, if you like, trucks. And we talk about Mad Mumsy's vacuum cleaner robot. Robbie, oh, I love Robbie. He's high maintenance, so I've still got to look after him. Spoiler alert, I won't tell you too much about that, but if you listen in, you'll hear Danny's thoughts on that. And what, as people working in the industry right now and people thinking about coming into into the industry, how she thinks as a recruitment officer, labour hire guru, <laughs> contractor, how it will affect workers and what we can do about it because it's coming. It's happening right now, so it's going to be more and more. So what roles can be undertaken to help you still thrive and survive in the industry, even with robots running the show? (laughs) On another note, we also glossed over, because of a time factor, and we did discuss this at the start, but Danny lost a past partner, um, to suicide and he was a FIFO worker. We chose not to cover this in this episode because she has spoken about it in depth in a two-part episode that I will share in the show notes link which can be found at madmumsy.com forward slash beers4747 and you can listen into Danny talking about losing her ex-partner to suicide and also the importance of support and mental health, not only for the employee but for their families as well. Just I, I bring this up because I want you to be aware of this being part of her why, I guess, about her passion to make it work for all of us, families and workers and now being someone who helps uh, employees to thrive and survive in our industry. So are you ready? Let's dig in. Get it? Dig mining. (laughs) I cracked me up. I'm sure I said that earlier, but (gasps) bonus, you get it twice. And welcome to the podcast, Danny Tamadi. So good that finally we get to catch up after all this time talking online. I know, it has been a while, hasn't it? (laughs) It has for sure. Now, listeners to my podcast know that I usually start off with and sometimes I forget and we go and add it on at the end because we got jumped straight into the episode. But um, as the podcast is called Beers with a Minor, I like to my guests to share what their favourite beverage is and especially their most favourite time to enjoy it. What is yours? Okay, so mine's probably a New Zealand Sav Blanc and um, right about now is a really good time to be drinking it. But, um, yeah, I, I quite enjoy a wine or two, let's just say, and I'm a little bit of a wine snob when it comes to my Sav Blancs. So, yeah. That would be my fave. Okay, and that's white, isn't it? That's yeah. that white. That's a white one. Yeah. So you can yeah. tell I'm a beer drinker. I'm getting a lot better. <laughs> it's all good. It's funny. I've never drunk beer really. I, I maybe one day a year I might just want a swig of something, but it's not something that I've ever sort of yeah done. 
which is strange because I know a little bit of your uh, mining story, which we'll delve into now. And you've spent a lot of time out in the desert in WA. (laughs) And yeah, there's a lot of beer drunk out there, I'd think. (laughs) There was a lot of beer sold in my first career too, let me tell you. (laughs) Okay. So would you like to jump in and start uh, start off with uh, what what you have done in the in the mining industry, what are your roles and how your journey has unfolded? So I was really, really fortunate, Leanne, because um, I worked, I actually worked at a five-star hotel in Perth and we used to have uh, some guys that would come down from up north. Um, their roster at the time was 13 weeks on, three weeks off. And one of them, as a bit of a joke, I was about to turn 21 and I said to him, oh, look, if ever there's a job in mining, can you let me know? And um, he said, yep, absolutely. So literally I, I planned to be 21st, as I think we all used to back then. And about a week and a half after I turned 21, I was on a plane to Port Hedland and then in a car for two hours with six burly mining boys um, to go out to a mine site which was about 250 k out of Um and yeah and I sort of that was that was what started it all so my roster was the same as everybody else's so 13 weeks away three weeks home um, and I did I'm that. Sorry, for... I'm sorry I'm a little bit of an interrupter <laughs> because <laughs> I just I just have to say, 13 weeks. My mum and my sister did six weeks on and one off, and I was horrified about that. But 13, how? And and what were you doing? Was that working at the bar? Yeah, so my first job was actually working in the, yeah, in the wet mess. Um, and I tell you, I used to take more money over that bar than I did in the five-star hotel that I worked at uh, with the beers a third of the price there was only about 120 people on site at the time um yeah it was a really look at introduction I suppose really although I had sort of I suppose really when I think about it now I had had an intro to mining because my mum used to live um in a little town called Leonora in the gold fields so I did used to go up there for school holidays and bits and pieces and hang out with some friends of ours before mum took over the, the motel but my first real role in mining originally was um, was exactly that. So on that, at that wet mess, which some of my people who listen wouldn't know that that's what it's called, a wet mess. Yeah. Like, what's that? That's the bar, right? <laughs> and um, did they have a limit there on how much people could drink or were they allowed to take takeaways? It was, a free, it was an absolute free-for-all. It was... Um, yeah, basically, you know, gone, well, it wasn't even considered, OH&S wasn't even a consideration back there. We're talking 25 years ago Mm. out in the middle of the desert, um, you know, 1800 kilometers from Perth. So yeah, originally when I was there, it was, um, it wasn't a consideration, but I know that they sort of towards the end of my time there, they were starting to realize that you know, their workforce was probably rocking up and wasn't that productive given the, the night before. Uh, and did, did they have drug tests on site or breathos or anything back then or only if really bad shit went down? Yeah, no, they were only just starting to implement them. They were talking about it sort of as I, as I left. Some positions had a lot of staff turnover, 
like the processing, the mill rats, as we used to call them, and some of the underground bogger operators and, you know, truckies and that sort of thing. But most of the people, the technical people stayed there. It was a bit of a training ground for a lot of the geos and the mining engineers and that sort of thing. So it was a really interesting, I suppose, intro. And that's kind of what, you know, that red dirt got in my veins and it was there to stay. So after that, um, I, I, I met an underground air leg miner at the time and we were together for three years. We looked at going to Cambalda and Kalgoorlie and going residential and bits and pieces, but he remained FIFO. Um, and then we separated. He unfortunately um, passed away. And then I went back up north and that's when I was 13 weeks away, one week home, but I was in a residential town this time, which was a lot different to working just on a mine site. So I had access to, um, you know, medical facilities and the airport was two hours away. We had a site plane, so it was a lot different to working at Bamboo Creek. But um yeah, and that's when I met my husband and that's when we sort of got together and that, then I went out on a lot of roles out on the site. So living in a mining town as opposed to a camp, so was it yeah. in a, was it, it, did you have a house or like a unit or, because I know mining towns, you, just because you're in a mining town doesn't mean that you're in a house necessarily. No, that's right. In my, yeah. Well, when, when my hubby and I met, we were both contractors. So I had my little unit and he had just a, a room in um, a shared quarters, at, you know, originally. And then when we got together, um, not long after we got together, he got a, a, a real job. He was no longer a contractor and got the, <laughs> you know, the company shirt. So then we were entitled to um, a house. So we got given a little duplex, which was the cutest little thing. Like they decked it all out oh. and retiled it and recarpeted it and, yeah, new blinds and everything. And it was quite funny because just before we moved in, we found out that we were pregnant with our first child. So it kind of happened at the right time. Um, and we lived there for we lived there for a, well, quite a while, actually. I think Jake was about 16 months old. And then we moved into a house. Um, a really nice house, not very far from one of the contracts that I was doing. So I was working, I used to work in town, in town office, which looked after all the houses and site plane manifests and bits and pieces. And then I'd also work out on site across different areas like drill and blast and mobile equipment and um, mobile ops and um, admin reception. I also used to do work for the GM occasionally, step in and, you know, help out there so yeah I got some really interesting experience and during that time um actually Jake was about he, he was tiny um I got offered a job to be a recruiter for the same temping company that I was temping for and they said look we know you've got a young family you've got Jake and we love the fact that you work out on site but do you want to do recruiting as well because we really need somebody in town that can oversee all the guys and girls that are out on site, make sure they're getting paid properly, make sure that they're being looked after, liaise with, you know, the superintendents and supervisors. And so I grabbed it with both hands because it meant that I could still work out on site in some casual admin roles, but then I could also sort of start my career in recruitment and um, 
and have Jake as well, you know, so look after him. That's a really good um, win-win, isn't it? Because you can still be working on your little career, but <laughs> not little, but um, the begin- the seed is the, what I'm thinking, like the start of a career that obviously we now know has just exploded, <laughs> which we'll yeah. come to, um, but, yeah. and still be able to be the mum and do a lot of it from home and you're still getting grown-up conversation, not just not just with your little 16-month-old as well. So that's a really good – how awesome is that? That doesn't happen very often, I wouldn't think. We're talking 18 and a half, 19 years ago when working from home wasn't even a consideration. Oh. But I think given the fact that we were so remote, um, you know, my main consulting – well, so the, the actual branch – that I reported through to was 200 kilometres away. Um, so they really did need a presence in town and they had the forethought to think, well, she's already temping for us. She knows what we're like. She's reliable. Yes, we know that she's got a child and her husband works for the company. I'm not going anywhere. Um, so it was a real win-win situation for everyone. So I used to throw Jake in the back of the car and go to the site plane and pick up the guys and take them for a ticky tour around and make sure they knew where to catch the bus and here's your key and, um, you know, do the inductions from my house and bits and pieces and then I'd also manage them from there. So it was, yeah, it was it was kind of, it's not your average recruitment role by any stretch of the imagination, but it was, it suited the purpose of where we were at and what we were doing and what they needed, I suppose, as a company as well, to have that presence in town. Um, mm. The unfortunate thing and, was... And this- I was yeah, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, and especially having having someone that you really knew how it worked out there and, and you knew the people and they related to you because I can tell already that you're lovable, you know, <laughs> one of those nice <laughs> people. And, and so they'd be like, oh, yeah, just see Danny, she'll sort you out, you know. <laughs> um, so to have someone like that in town, yeah, is awesome. I used to get people just rocking up to my door sometimes and knocking on the door and saying, hi, I'm here to get a job. And I'd go, right. And my husband would go, "Can really? And I'd go, well, you know, I'm known as that person because I was that person in town. You know, at that stage we yeah. probably had maybe six to 700 people, including obviously the mine workers and their partners and a lot of the partners worked out on the mine or had, you know, other roles like at school or in town at the supermarket or deli or whatever. And then obviously kids because we had a primary school in town too. So it was a perfect, gorgeous little community to raise a family. By that stage, I was heavily pregnant with number two. And unfortunately, this particular company lost the contract. And the new company... Oh, bugger. Yeah, and the new company didn't feel that it was viable to have a recruitment consultant in town, which was fine. So I toddled off and um, and had our second son, Tane. So Jake, my 19-year-old, is currently doing a Boilermaker apprenticeship at um, a fabulous company in Perth. And Tane's now 16. He's just, today he's just done his second last day of work experience as a carpenter. So he wants an apprenticeship at the end of this year when he's 17 and got a licence. Um, yeah. yeah, so he was due. Um, and I had him and within six weeks, um, oh, breastfeeding mother and all, I was asked to go back out to site to fill in for some admin roles because they didn't have anyone in town that knew the systems and 
how to manage it. So I had to sign myself up with the new company to go and do the admin role to cover off on that. So this mindset was a good 20 plus Ks away from um, home. So a lady who lived in town who had five children of her own um, and she was the swimming teacher at the time, she was the nanny through the day. So she'd have the boys at home and I'd jump on the bus at 6.30 and you know, come back home at sort of four o'clock and take over where um, where she left off sort of thing. And um, so during that time, that sort of, I think I was out there for three to five weeks or something. I can't quite remember now. It's so long ago. But um, the other company had realised that, yes, they did need a presence in town. Yes, I was the person that had already, you know, had that contact with the people. So then I got offered... Um, to do it all over again with them. So I just kind of picked up where I left off a little bit. But, um, yeah, it was it was not the same uh, support, I suppose, from, you know, what I'd had previously with, the, with Drake. And it was just a little bit, it was almost like they felt pressured into having me um, to a certain extent as a recruiter in town, but that was based on the superintendents and supervisors not getting satisfaction out of having to report through to a Karatha branch when they don't know the ins and outs of what's going on, you know, in town and, and obviously on the site. So is that when you started thinking, because you've been doing this for a couple of different people now and in different ways, did did you start thinking about ways, you know, if I, if I was going to do it, I'd do it like this, like this, if this was all me, is this where the result will, will, I'll, um, we'll mention it now, the Resources Hub. I'll, obviously, I'll have shared it in the intro. Um, but that is your baby, your business, and where you do so much for um, the employees and also to support FIFO, and we'll, we'll go into that. But is this this is around the time that it was born, around number oh. between one and two? <laughs> baby, real baby. Because <laughs> I've, I've got four. Um, no, oh, it wasn't. Four. Yeah, it wasn't even a consideration then really. I mean, I, I, was, I was pretty lucky that I had autonomy to a certain extent because of, I suppose, where we lived at the time. But really um, my husband's career started to take off and I wanted to support him in that. So he started life as a chef. Uh, when I met him, I like to remind him that he was a busted-ass contractor that drove a truck. Um, <laughs> hey, nothing I, wrong with driving a truck, mate. <laughs> I, know, I know, darling, I know. Oh, look, that was the reason. It's funny because when I first signed up um, to work for Drake, I wanted to be a hall pack operator and I went, got my licence, went for the medical and everything and that's when I found out I was pregnant. And so they were like, bah, bah, that's actually not going to happen. But, hey, we can put you in an admin role. So I never got to drive that truck. And do you... Um ever still think well you probably wouldn't now I guess but do you ever still yearn to drive a big truck um probably not no I do because you've heard what it's really like I guess from a lot of people well I do yeah I do (laughs) and I have it was funny we had an excavator at our property last not last week the week before and the excavator operator jumped out and he goes you really want to get in and drive it don't you and I go yeah maybe just to have a go but, um, no, I suppose, you know, Jake coming along tra- changed everything, changed the, the supposed Life. career pathway. <laughs> that I 
yeah, that I was going to take life, exactly. Um, but through that, you know, Ricky, my husband, he got into emergency services and ERT comps and bits and pieces and he thrived and he absolutely loved it. So from going from being a chef and then doing um, town crew uh, in Pana, which was Panawanica, which was where we were living, and then um, driving trucks as a contractor. Then he got on to working for Robe River at the time, which was bought out by Rio back in 2000. 99, 2000. Oh, it must have been 2000, actually. Um, and then, yeah, and then he went into fixed plant and started learning load of ops and all that sort of stuff. Um, but during that time was when he really enjoyed ERT. So he kind of, I don't know, his career pathway was sort of set on that, in that direction, and I really wanted to um, support him in that. So he used to go away comps and bits and pieces and, a position came up in Panawanica for an emergency services officer at the time and he went for it um, and unfortunately he missed out and a fitter from the MEM got it um, and he was really quite devastated because, you know, he really, really wanted this opportunity. We were quite happy in Pana, although... By that stage, I was still I was still doing recruitment um, to a certain extent, but I was doing a lot more admin out on, at the mine, but only as a contractor. I never sort of got the rope job. And um, then we just decided that the kids, you know, by this stage, Tane was sort of nearly one, that it was time for us to move. So when a position came up in Parabadoo, which was about five hours from Panna, um, and it was owned by Hammersley Iron then. Uh, yeah, he applied for it and he got it. There was actually an employment freeze on for about a good nine months leading up to that. And um, we were the seventh family in 2002 to move into Parabadoo and we didn't move in until sort of September. So, um, yeah, they, they hadn't employed anyone, but he got this job as an ESO or EM, or it was emergency management officer, and um, and then his career just went AWOL from there. So we moved and yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. So again, we moved because now we were we had an airport right there, you know, a bigger shopping centre. We could have a pool in our backyard. Things that we oh, were sort of nice. Panawanica was a closed town, whereas Parabadoo was. Um, Right, where the mine site was, but was an open town. So you could wash off all that red dust. <laughs> and I had a fence that you couldn't see through because in Pana you could see through everyone's backyards. You could see what everyone was doing. But in Parabadoo it yeah. was completely different. So, yeah, so we we um, we um moved into Para and it was, it was a little bit, I suppose, clicky to start off with as any kind of mining town is, but we were fortunate that we knew a few people in town that had come across from Panna as well or that we'd met in our mining journey so far. And then I found it really hard to get back to work. I couldn't find, even getting a contract in admin out on site was really difficult. So I did a lot of different things and then we had our daughter in 2004 uh, Sienna, oh, a so girl. she's a girl. A girl, yeah. finally. <laughs> Thinking that we were finished at that stage, but not quite. Um, and yeah. yeah, so Ricky, you know, continued in his career and did really, really well. And then um, we found out 
not not very long after that, well, I took a job with Integrator Group, which is now Program Maintenance. Um, but that was so sorry. So I had Sienna, and then I continued working out sort of contracts out on site, and then some around town. Um, but there was no way that I could get back into recruitment because Skilled pretty much had it sewn up, and there was already people that were in that position. So, yeah, Sienna was born and then soon after I found out I was pregnant with Kale. So, Kale was, there's only 16 months difference between the two of them. So, I had him and by the time he was 14 months, again, I was still a contractor. Like through each and every pregnancy, I've always been a contractor. So, unfortunately, never got maternity leave or any of those joys. Um, but when he was 14 months, a girlfriend of mine was working at Yandy and some guy breezed in and said, oh, we want to set up a an office in Parabadoo. You don't know anybody who has been in recruitment, do you? And she goes, oh, yeah, my girlfriend. She's got four kids. But um, hang on, let me give her a call. And I was just ready and raring to sink my teeth into something, you know, that was tangible and, and um, I suppose, consistent. So the next thing I was being interviewed, I was being flown to Perth for interviews down there and I set up the Integrated Group branch. Um, so I had four kids under the age of eight, I think, at that stage. Oh, and, gosh. Um, and away we went. So, yeah, they were a fabulous company to work for. I had such an awesome team and I'm still friends with a lot of the, the people that I worked with. So we had a mining hub in Perth and then obviously I looked after the guys and girls on site and, um, and in town. Yep. And I did that for about 18 months, I suppose, and then another recruitment consultancy tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, um, do you want to work from home? Uh, we've got this great opportunity. You'd be area manager Northwest. Um, and when and if you moved to Perth, because that was sort of starting to become apparent that we'd want to go to Perth at some stage because our kids were going to go to high school, you know, sort of within the next few years then you, your job will move with you. Unfortunately, it didn't. But um, that was kind of the, that kind of, I suppose, cemented the idea around having my own consultancy. Um, and then, yeah, so in 2010, we moved to Perth. And then I worked for a mining contract services company as their group HR and recruitment manager. And I loved that. That was a great job. And it was a beautiful bunch of people to work with. Um, and it was good because it meant that I'd be placing people in underground roles and open cut roles, which was good because I hadn't sort of been in the underground spaces for quite some time because we'd worked in iron ore for those yeah. 14 years. Um, Ricky took a, a role in the city, so he transferred and um, he was also flying a site sort of on and off throughout the, the different weeks, bits and pieces, but it wasn't a set roster. And then, yes, yeah, so I took um, my mates group and then it was about to be sold and I could sort of see that the writing was on the wall as far as my position was concerned. So I started looking for something else and I got offered a role as um, a state manager practically for a mining and resources division of an international recruitment company that I had to set it up. So that was really when the Resources Hub was born because even though I'd always been tempted to sort of go out on my own, I'd, I don't know, I think the security of working for a company where you've got branding and marketing teams and you've got people that write your tenders and you've got, 
you know, a group of people that you can handball all your jobs off to and admin and mobilisation and all that sort of stuff. Um, sounded like it was pretty perfect, but unfortunately um, I had five general managers in a space of six months and I'm thinking, shit, mm. we're in the business of people being for people and this isn't actually what I signed up for. So the Resources Hub and another business of mine, which is kind of just sitting there in the wings at the moment, called Resourceful Women was born and I registered them. Um, I think I was actually, if I'm, if I'm honestly, and I think I was actually going through that, oh, my God, you know, I'm about to turn 40. Shit's getting real here. So, um, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, and plus I wasn't yeah. seeing my kids. My husband had just gone FIFO with BHP, so he was with Rio for 14 years and then he got tapped on the shoulder to set up emergency services um, at a brand-new site up in the Pilbara. And we'd never, we'd never considered really being a FIFO family, you know, because we'd always live residential. And then when we came to Perth, he pretty much worked in the city. So when he was offered that job, we sort of sat down with the kids and said, what do you think? Um, and he's been FIFO with BHP now for, oh, it's coming up six years and he absolutely loves it. Um, but so does he have a roster? How long is he yeah, away for? He's on an eight and six, which is pretty perfect. Yeah. Is that days? Yeah. And then, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. And recently he was doing eight days on six days off and then four days on three days off. Um, but they can the four and three, so now he's back to eight and six. Yeah. Which, and how are you finding that um, or how are you finding it after all those years of being together all the time and then him being away? Well, initially it took the kids along. It did take them a bit to get used to. And the problem was that we both started our new careers on exactly the same day. It was the 2nd of July in 2012. <laughs> and I remember saying to him vividly, honey, this is either going to make or break us or one of us is going to have to leave. Like I just, I didn't think that, because I was travelling to Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane a lot of the time as well. Um, he was on an eight and, oh, actually he worked in the city originally setting systems up and bits and pieces, but then went eight and six after a few months so it was a really interesting time plus we were living in a shed on our property and building a dream home so you know four kids living in a shed the FIFO husband and me you know going left right and centre was it was an interesting time but um yeah having worked for this particular company it really sort of made me realize that when I when I do recruitment it's not just a transactional body for money type setup whereas it is for a lot of these large agencies and I actually do give a flying about my candidates and you know where they where they see their career pathways and that's really where the resources hub was born I think right so and that's why you care so much because you've uh, seen how, how go on no I think it's just really important you know I think it's it, it's a bit like, um, you know, when we first came down from up north, I'd speak to these mums and, you know, I was one of those working mums, career mums that always worked. Yes, I've had nannies for my kids, you know, throughout their life and, yes, they have gone to daycare. It suited two of them. It didn't suit the other two. So nannies sort of fitted in our little world whenever I needed care. Um, 
But there were a lot of women that I met when we first came down and we live in a beautiful hills community where, you know, we're, we're so fortunate here because we all look out for each other. But there were so many of these mums just going, oh, you know, I had to give up my career because I had kids. And I think that's really sad. Like my grandmother's 91 and if anyone taught me about being career woman, it's that woman because, you know, she got dressed up and she went to work Monday to Friday in the city at Perth Photographics for 38 years or however long it was. Um, you know, so it was, for me, it was really important to be able to have my own career, but also have children that are functional, that see that their parents are striving to make life better for everybody. And when Ricky and I met, we had absolutely nothing. We had a car, we had the same CD collection, I think, pretty much. Um, (laughs) You know, a CD player, a TV and a video recorder back in the day. And that's what we started with. We had had nothing so yeah I just I've always been the type of person that I've needed to work because if I've ever wanted anything throughout my life I've needed to have the money to be able to afford it Um, even as a young you know I started working I think when I was 10 delivering newspapers oh here we go I can tell (laughs) (laughs) I wanted a push bike and my mum said okay no worries well you can buy half and I went okay fair call so I went and got a job and so I've always worked you know and I would find it really difficult not to work. Um, but when, you know, when the whole sort of um, deco thing happened, I just realised that there was a particular niche in our industry in particular and also for women to want to return to the workforce and understand what that looks like. Everybody at some stage kind of needs support and I'm a big believer that no one stays in their career for all of their life. Um, Well, not everybody does. Like like I said, my husband was a chef and now he's an emergency management specialist with two sites that he looks after. I started life in hospitality and now I'm a careers coach and recruiter and do some HR and OH&S on the site as well. So I think diversity and diversifying your career can sometimes be um, a benefit, obviously, because you've got skills that you can offer to certain roles that are over and above what anybody else can. But also, you know, you spend a bloody long time being at work. You may as well be happy. So if you're not happy in your career, then you need to find an alternative. I was going to say, my listeners know that's my motto. If you've got to be here, you might as well figure out how to make have fun while you're here or do something like plan for it. You're going to be sitting in the world mouth. What are you going to do while you're sitting in there? Have a plan. Do something. Come up with something. That's exactly it. Now for a word from our sponsor, Julia Hartman and the Bantax Accounting Group. Julia's my awesome accountant. She's written two books with financial expert Noel Whitaker. And she's got a passion to help us miners make the most out of our hard-earned cash. She's got heaps of tips and make sure that we get every cent we are meant to get and is right on the ball with everything. If you head to bantax.com.au forward slash miners, that's B-A-N-T-A-C-S, you can download a free booklet all just for us miners. And there's also a spreadsheet in there that helps you check off what tools you have for your trade, like your isolation lock, work boots, seven shirts, all of these sorts of things. And you can weigh them up 
and it'll tell you if you qualify weight-wise to claim your trips out to work. And that's just one of the things that they've got over there. So I strongly urge you to head to bantax.com.au forward slash miners and see what they can do and find your nearest office as we come up to tax time. They're really on the ball, know what's going on with the tax department and there's heaps of other free information like property investing. If you really plan on doing some great things with your money, you want to do that, right? If you want to sell your house, can save a lot of money if you find out what to do first rather than in hindsight. And Julia, she'll, you know, make sure you get it right. And if you do it wrong, and then go and see her, she'll, she'll up you in the nicest possible way because she really cares about us and wants us to keep our money and not give it to the tax department. Anyway, head over to bantax.com.au forward slash miners and tell them Mad Mumsy sent you. Touching on uh, not staying in the same career all the time, technology changes as well, like over those years, you know, like, things weren't even invented and then as you stay in your one little role in that company you can see new things that you might be able to move into or that you oh I wouldn't mind having a crack at that and um so that's what you advise people to do once you get in have a look around see what else is is available you know we I think about how Ford and I were in Panawanica and Parabadu as well um, him in particular, you know, there was always an opportunity to upskill. There was always, you know, he got his emergency management degree while he was being paid through Rio Tinto and our youngest, Kale, at the time was 10 days old when he started that. He was working full-time. He was studying time. We had four kids under the age of seven. I still wanted my career. So, you know, there was a lot going on. We lived 1,400 kilometres away from any of our family. Yes, we had friends and your friends become your family when you live in towns like that. But Mm. um, for me, and you're right, with the whole technology thing moving in the direction that it is, I think people need to be really clear on having some idea about what they think they want to do. But how... How are there light? How, like I've I've got an assessment tool that helps people with this kind of thing. But you know, how suited are they to the types of roles that they're applying for? And you see it all the time when you hear these young kids that go to university, and you know they may be doing sort of chemical engineering. Then all of a sudden, six months in, they go, "Oh my god, what am I doing?" Sort of thing. Um, so really, having a true understanding around what the types of duties and responsibilities are for roles and is there shift work involved? How are you going to go going from day shift to night shift? You know, how are you going to go sitting in a truck for 13 hours? Because that's a bloody long time to be sitting mm. by yourself moving dirt around a pit. So, and I'm just using that as an example, but um, I it's suppose for me, thanks. <laughs> I suppose for me going from recruitment and then looking at it from a different angle and wanting to help people understand what career pathways they're suited to and and how I could assist with that, that's sort of really where the resources hub was was um, was born because for me recruitment, like I said, isn't just transactional. It's got to be a win-win situation. It's a marriage between the candidate and the client because at the end of the day, you know, that's that means that my job's been done right. 
really. Mm, yeah, that's right. Um, now, I want to be mindful of your time. So yeah. that's probably a good segue as we were talking about technology and stuff there. I really want to bring up, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on the autonomous I say trucks, but it's not just trucks, there's drills, there's everything. The autonomy of, of our industry, of mining, but especially um, people that are thinking about, oh, I, I want to be, what do you call it, a whole pack operator? Over here we say, you know, um, a dump truck, because that's that's a brand of a truck, I believe, a whole pack. Whereas, uh, yeah, so it's different ways, different states as well. WA people, you know, they're a bit different. Over there. <laughs> yeah, we're a bit out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, my sister's been there forever. Um, uh, yeah, so what are your thoughts on what sort of roles would be available for that? My partner's a fitter. He's underground. You know, he's a real miner. Just ask him, he'll tell you. Um, but uh, he, he said that, well, they're still going to break, so they'll always need fixing. So, oh, couldn't agree more. So, you know, I, I, I bang on about this all the time. Um, autonomous vehicles moving forward, you know, I suppose it had to happen. And when it was first bandied around several years ago, even the whole operating a mine site from a remote operations centre in Perth when all these sites are in the Pilbara, like that was pretty foreign back then. But hey, it works and they're all doing it, you know, Rio and BHP and Roy Hill. and Even over here, a lot of them are doing it now, yeah. Yeah, but as far as trucks are concerned, um, do I think it's a good idea? Oh, well, yes, obviously there's jobs that aren't created because there's, you know, fewer dump truck operators or haul pack operators that are needed. But then in saying that, you know, how... Are they going to be able to um, move that technology into other types of mobile plant like loaders and graders and dozers? Well, they're probably not going to be able to. So there is still opportunity to operate and drive the big truck, or sorry, the big gear. It just means don't throw your money at getting a dump truck um, certificate because really you're just throwing your money at a wall. So, you know, look at alternatives. And... Even though we're talking mining, you know, when we're talking brand new mines, and yesterday I, I went to the Kalgoorlie Boulder um, Growing KB conference and, you know, there's 687 exploration sites in WA alone. So those sites are going to start off as a construction site before they move to a production site. So there's opportunity for people to be able to operate trucks and, you know, again, loaders and graders and excavators and whatever other ancillary equipment's needed, water carts and bits and pieces, but in a construction setting as opposed to a mining setting. And I think sometimes, you know, mining has been somewhat glorified um, for operators, but civil civil works is, you know, that's a bloody speciality in itself. So if you if that's really where you're dead keen to start your career, then maybe look at civils as opposed to mining because you're going to be getting experience. It's just not going to be on the big, big gear. So the autonomous trucks um, or the whole system, because they basically set up from the way it's operating at the moment from how I believe is they have a whole separate little pit or not necessarily little, I suppose, (laughs) but they have a separate area that no one else goes into and they're all robots. (laughs) 
that's how I see them. I've got a, I've got a robot vacuum cleaner and I think, oh, one yeah, day yeah. that could be in my truck, you know. So, um, do, you, is that, do you know how expensive that is compared? Obviously it must be cheaper, otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. It's absolutely cheaper. With, but with smallest, uh, I'm just thinking out loud here, but I'm thinking a smaller mine that start like a startup, they might not start up in that phase. They, you know, they might get older trucks that don't have the technology. So they'll still be probably for another good decade or two. Oh, um, yeah. Look, there, there's operator always... roles. Yeah, that's right. But I think, you know, I know that um, BHP Southlink is predominantly going to be an autonomous mine site. That's what they're aiming for. So you'll have your technical people that will still be required on site and you'll have some form of operations type personnel, but you're definitely not going to have the number of crews that you would have had, say, 8, 10, 12, 15 years ago as far as operating mobile equipment. Now, in saying that, I've got a girlfriend who's a heavy-duty diesel fitter and she um, was, when, when Rio first started looking at the whole autonomous truck type thing, she, you know, obviously they had to retrofit some of their trucks. Now that costs tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. But then where they're spending money on technology, they're saving money on salaries, I suppose. So, you know, mm. obviously it is beneficial to the mining company for that and not only just purely for a money cost-saving exercise but obviously safety as well, you know. How many times do you hear that a tyre's, um, you know, caught fire and all of a sudden someone's going to have to jump out of the cab or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, I just, I think that no matter what, in any industry we're going, we're going to all have to sort of um, adjust to technology. Yeah. And, ev being and, ev and evolve. Exactly. Even in my little humble podcasting, every, every like it, it's just every week, every month, there's something new that's coming. Oh, I need, to, there's a new rabbit hole to go down. I need to, oh, I might do that. Oh, I might go there. <laughs> but if that's your career, if that's your career, that's, you know, if you look at your career like that, oh, what could I, what else could I do as well, you know? And like, I love what you said before about trying to be happy about it, you know? And then that helps so much better with our mental health because there's so many issues with the FIFO side of things and FIFO suicides and we, the, all the inquiries and even just people who are just grumpy at work, you know, they might not actually have gone right down, but they're not happy. They don't want to be there. They think they've got to win the lotto to get out. Yeah, that's right. And look, you know, mining, it's known as the golden handcuffs, but it doesn't have to be like that. And I think as an industry, you know, we have a lot to answer for sometimes because I know that when Ricky and I started, we were really fortunate that we had friends who had done really well in mining and had set themselves up and had kind of guided us to do the same because, like I said, we started with nothing and we had a child very soon after we got together and, you know, grew our family from there. But um, for these kids, when I say kids, they're not necessarily kids. I mean, I run a workshop on getting into FIFO a few weeks ago and I've got another two coming out this Monday in Perth and um, I had a demographic of between 23 and about 56 in the room, you know. Mm. So it's interesting that people 
and, and especially guys I'm finding at the moment, I've got a lot of clients that are coming to me saying, Danny, I should have done that mechanical trade that my father told me about, you know, when I was yeah. sort of 18. Yeah. Um, now I'm 40, but I want to get into mining, you know, what's good for me. And so it really, you know, my whole um, consultative process, I suppose, like I've said several times in this podcast, is really around, okay, who are you as an individual? What is your skill set? What are the types of roles you think you want to do? Now let's drill down from there. And it's looking at, you know, it's opening people's eyes to don't just think you want to be a dump truck operator. You might want to go and work in a lab. You might want to go and, I don't know, um, I mean, there's so many different bloody opportunities in mining. Just don't think of it as just driving a big truck because that's not the be-all and end-all of life for in, for everybody. It's a, it's a bloody good start. And like I said, it's where my husband started really and where I plan to start, but my my life took a bit of a different route. So that's okay. It is what it is. But, um, yeah, but I think people having to understand it's a bit like you know the redundancy whole um scenario in the last few years too like that so many people were so out of sorts for so long because they'd always worked for the same company in the same positions or they'd climbed the corporate ladder internally so they didn't know how to apply for jobs they didn't know what linkedin looked like they didn't you know they, they all they heard about was seek they didn't know that there's indeed Jura and adzuna and all these other avenues and social media for finding work but the other thing was too that they had to get used to the fact that they weren't going to get paid holidays that they were probably going to be a casual or a fixed term contractor or on labor hire and guess what that's a whole new that's a whole new conversation right there because even tonight um, on the way home we were listening to a radio segment and they were talking about how people are finding it so difficult at the moment to get loans because so many people do not have permanent roles. I personally don't think that permanent roles are here to stay. I think that mining in particular will look at different workforce planning options like the gig economy, like consultants coming in for specific projects. Um, there will be a core group of permanent employees to do what's needed to be done from a workforce perspective. But I think that as we evolve as, a, as an industry, uh, there will be other options. And I think some people in the last sort of four to five years have jumped on the bandwagon and now that they realise that they still can be paid well enough, that they can have time off if they want to go, you know, under their own consulting banner and they're comfortable with that, we're seeing like a bit of a slight turn. Um, so it suits some people, it doesn't suit others. Like I said, I've been a contractor for pretty much my entire life. So for me, going and doing a contract for a certain amount of time suited me at the time, you know, but now I've got my little baby in and it's um, you know, starting to get busy. But, yeah. The, well, other, that, yeah. That's the, thing, the thing now is with the contracting and the labour hire, is like you say, well, they were short-term contracts, but now these are just like the never-ending bloody story, you know. Um, it's three, four years people contracting. There's no shirts being offered, and in Queensland, sorry, I'm going to get on my little high horse here. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, be no, mindful no. of your time. People know my thoughts on this, but um, we've just had a labour hire inquiry here in yes, Queensland. Yes, I know. Uh, you, I'm sure you're all, you've 
yeah, I made a submission or our crew, we all wrote little bits down here, add this, add that, you know, and it's, there's so many things. It's not, it, it's not just that you could get put off right now. You could get a phone call and say, your services are no longer required and that's it. You're gone. Um, no holidays, no sickies, you know, so people are coming to work sick because, um, they've got no sickies and they need their money. And there's just so many things like you say about the banks. Um, there's no paternal leave, maternity leave, if you know, for your partners. And so it's just nothing. If you're not at work, you're not getting paid. And we could just say, we don't want you anymore. And yeah. you just, I mean, you feel like you're not on edge all the time. I know. And I feel really sorry for those people that have been on labor hire for a lengthy time. I mean, I, my business does offer labour hire, but it's usually short term. It's no more than six months. And most of the time it's three months and they transition into permanent employees with my clients anyhow. So um, it's more so the client dictates that for a sort of, you know, let the who these people are, whether or not they're suited to our business. And then if they are suited to our business, which I think that most people that I put out in front of my clients would be, then they want to transition them into permanent employment. But, um, you know, it also works for individuals as well. Yeah. Well, but over here anyway, the big mining companies, most of them just are not putting on any permanence. doesn't matter who, who, how good you are or who you yeah. are. And like where I have been recently, this one time at this one band camp, they had, um, they, they hired two people per crew in the last two years, that's it. And they were digger drivers. Um, yeah. Everyone else, no. Nah. Oh, and they and they keep dangling the little carrot. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we might put, we'll probably be putting some on soon because it's starting to get a bit cutthroat as the price of coal's going up again. So people are looking for the experienced operators, but they're putting on trainees, yeah. which is good. A lot <laughs> of trainees are coming on board, but then they can't always hack it so they don't stay and anyway. Yeah. And I suppose that's what I try and do from the resources hub perspective is mitigate the risk of a bad hire through any element, whether it's the individual or it's the company. Um, so, yeah, I attended this event. There's a thousand jobs in Kalgoorlie right now. Now, I love Kalgoorlie. Would I move there? No, my husband wouldn't allow it. But, um, and I wanted to move to Kalgoorlie at one stage when we were in Panawanica. But, you know, right now, and I just said to one of my um clients and, and a guy that I actually managed to find work for as well, he just rang me up on the way home tonight and I said to him, look, if you and his girlfriend Tash are serious, move to Kalgoorlie. There's a perfectly good opportunity. Rents are cheap. Um, there's a 1,000 to 2,000 jobs in town right now. You know, you're only six hours away from Perth. Vibrant little community. They're spending so much money on it. It's brilliant, you know, to the point now I'm looking at setting up, well, I have been for a while actually, for a good four or five months, setting up a hub in Kalgoorlie because I can just see the benefit for so many people and, and obviously for, for us to be able to find people work in that region. Mm, so what, what sort of jobs are available in Cal? Because you see a lot of dump truck operators, you must be residential, you see those advertised every now and then. But- but what else is happening around Cal? So the conversation yesterday was um, there's going to be a lithium company, well, a, a, a company that's going to be setting up a lithium 
refinery in Kalgoorlie. Now other companies are shipping all their ore and their lithium and stuff to, um, you know, ports and, and additional refineries that are in Perth, which is an additional cost, clearly. And it means the jobs are down here, not so much up there. Um, retail is still really buoyant in Kalgoorlie, apparently. So the partners of guys and girls that go up there can possibly get work in retail. There is traineeships through BHP at Nickel West they were talking about yesterday. So trainees in um, sort of the mid um, you know, fixed plant areas. There's so much drilling work available because exploration starting to really go stupid up here um, or mm -hmm. in WA in particular. So there's, you know, opportunities for trainee drillers, trainee offsiders. Two of my clients in the last month, career clients that I work with, um, helping them to sort of understand what career pathways and help them with surveys and LinkedIn's and bits and pieces. Both of those, one guy came from the army. He's in Queensland. He got a drillers, uh, trained drillers role um, after working with me. And another guy was a bricklayer with his own team and he just wanted to start saving some money because he was sick and tired of chasing invoices and finding work. But um, he's the same. I caught up with him on Friday last week. I bumped into him at the pub, as you do, in the hills. <laughs> as you do. Because <laughs> he's a hills boy. And, um, yeah, he's, I think, his third, his third swing into a two-on-one and loving it so far. And he got a job as a driller's otter and they want to put him through courses already and he's only been there for five seconds. So opportunities wow. are abound. I think you just need to, you know, do your homework and, and really understand what it is you think you want to do and work out whether or not it is suited to you or speak to the right people, um, you know, who can help you on that, on that pathway. Yeah. Like yourself. So, well, um, you mentioned earlier about an assessment tool link. I would, I'd like to share that with my peeps, please. Okay, so that's on my website. So a few years ago, um, again, you know, having the whole idea of a bit of a holistic niche hub for the industry, I discovered a tool called Harrison Assessments and it works for both companies and individuals. So if with individuals like my second eldest son, Tane, um, when he was 14, he was diagnosed with dyslexia, dyscalculus and inattentive ADHD, which meant that his career's choices, there would be some kind of limitations around that look like. So I ran him through the career navigation system and got him, sort of planted the seed, got him to start thinking about what careers he was suited to. Now, out of that report, which I think was about, um, oh, God, I can't remember, 200 and something pages, um, some of the main roles that he's likes and dislikes, his behaviours were suited to were really blue-collar type roles, so riggers, scaffolders, farmhand, um, mobile plant operator, um, carpenter, what else was there, formwork. Oh, there was just all like a lot of blue-collar roles. Anyhow, I've sent my two eldest or we've sent our two eldest to a school that offers vet training in year 11 and 12 because we know that they're probably not suited to university at this stage. They might do it in, you know, in their 30s like their father did, but um, right now, you know, that's not their pathway. So Jake went yeah. and did metal fabrication and he was two out of 220 years to get a Boilermaker apprenticeship with a particular company down in um, in Bassendine and they're well-renowned, brilliant company. You know, he's been there now for 
a good 18 months and loves it and he lives out of home and he's all tickety-boo and settled. And Tane um, is doing carpentry. So he tried, uh, so at this particular school, there's electrotechnology, carpentry and boiler making. And electrotechnology was the first day and he came home and said, mum, I don't want to be an electrician. And I go, that's fine, darling, I get it. You know, like that's not your bag. The second day was carpentry and he loved it. My dad was a carpenter, my brother's a carpenter, oh. my grandfather was in building, like all of my family are actually in building. It's only me that's been in mining really. Um, yeah. And then the third day was metal fabrication and he knew that Jake was already heading down that path so he was kind of like, oh, no, I don't really want to be a boilermaker, I think I want to be a carpenter. So today he's just finished his second last day of two weeks of working um, doing work experience and like I said he wants to be out of school at the end of this year which was probably something that we didn't really want to take into consideration because I always wanted my kids to finish school but he's born shitless and he's he's so excited to go to you know to go to work experience like today he did a full um he was there at six and we you know picked him up around 5.30 or something. So he's getting into the groove of what it's like to be out in the workforce and he's probably more suited to that. So, yeah, so it just gives people a bit of clarity around the types of different positions that they're suited. And we're talking everything from non-skilled right up to, you know, master degrees and stuff like that. So it's a really interesting, um, yeah, a really interesting thing and I'm, I'm a bit, I bang on about it a bit. Oh, hang on. Yeah, coming. Sorry. My dinner's ready. Oh, tea's ready. Uh, Ricky. Hello, yeah. Ricky. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was all ready to do the big, uh, now I know Ricky's cooking tea, <laughs> so you'll have to know. Yeah, he is, and he no, just no. yelled out on cue. That's that's classic. There's a reason. There's a reason. Yeah, there's a reason quick, why quick. I married a chef. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, awesome. Good idea. Um, I'll leave a link to everywhere for you um uh, back back to the resources hub and if you google the resources hub if you don't get to the show notes guys you'll find it but the show notes will be madmumsy.com forward slash beers 47 that's the number four seven and just in closing i really would like to ask you awesome lady that you are with four kids and everything that you're doing and everything that you've done when you when life turns to shit and you're having a really bad time, really bad day, what do you do to what's what's your special place that helps you through? Because I I think it's important for us to all at least know where it is and how often do we go there? Not necessarily a place. We can be in your mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. We all have those days. Um, for me, you know, the last five and a half years has been a pretty trying time. I set up a, a career development recruitment company in the worst downturn known to man. So um, <laughs> I've had a lot of those. I've had a lot of those rocking in the corner, kind of, you know, in the fetal position moments. But I'm a pretty positive person at the best of times. You know, I've been through a bit of shit in my life, and I'm I'm grateful for every morning that I wake up, and I'm grateful for the fact that I've got a beautiful family and a amazing supportive network of friends and um and I love what I do I do what I love and I love what I do and that's my little motto so you know I got into work this morning at 6 30 and as you know I didn't get home until six o'clock and I'm still going and I'll probably still be going so 
I don't know. I've, yeah, through all the through all the hard times, I think you've just got to find that little glimmer of hope. And if it's if you're feeling like it's really getting too hard, reach out because there's plenty of people that will support and love you no matter what situation you're in. And if there's anybody that knows that quite intimately, it's myself, you know. So Fantastic. Thanks so much, Danny Tamati. Is it Tamati or Tamati? Tamati, actually. Tamati. Tamati. Oh, I wasn't even bloody close. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Say it as yeah, it is. Well, say- Thank you so much for our half hour chat. That ended up being in an hour. Thank oh, you so much. <laughs> and I told you they all end up about an hour. And oh, no, go no. and enjoy tea and hi to Ricky. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you so much. Take Thanks, care. Bye. bye. I hope that you enjoyed this chat with Danny as much as I did. And all the links we discussed in this episode can be found at madmumsy.com forward slash beers 47. That's madmumsy with a Z or a Z, depending where you're from, and the number 47. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate you. And please, if you're enjoying the podcast, share with your mates. Grab their phone, find their podcast app, and search for Beers with a Minor. And hit subscribe. And then they'll never miss an episode, just like you've done, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, off you go. There's also heaps of resources and lots of good stuff on the website to help newbies, wannabes and us old-time miners. So, again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay safe, be real, be special and have fun, for we only live once. Cheers. Oh, and there might be a couple of bloopers at the end of this if you keep listening. (laughs) Well, why the hell not? Cheers. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And we're carrying on. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Okay. Car going past. Have a drink. of the Resources Hub, an award-winning, high-profile, high-profile <laughs> recruitment career. It's such a mouthful. All these big words start again. Blooper at the end. <laughs> all these people with all these highfalutin things that they do. I'm just a busted-ass miner. That's easy to say. <laughs> <laughs>